What is going on, everyone? Welcome back to the Cinema Dado Podcast. I am Bill, and I am joined by... Hello, everyone. This is Ryan again. And this is one that I know Ryan's been really excited about, you know, diving into. He even, like, wrote up, basically wrote up the entire script for The Godfather today on, on, his, <laughs> on his computer. This is how excited he was. So, without any further ado, we will be talking about The Godfather Part. We're only going to talk about Part 1, because to talk about the entire trilogy... It's just going to take way too long. And actually, I haven't even seen the third film yet. I still need to you know, dive in and check out that one. So we're gonna, I'm going to shoot it right over to Ryan because this guy, he is the, the master of knowing everything Godfather. So, Ryan, take it away, sir. Thank you, Bill. All right, folks, this is it. The Big Kahuna. I've actually gone through the process of taking some pretty detailed notes, as Bill mentioned, just because there's a lot I want to say about this film. It's definitely one of my favorite, you know, as time has gone on and I've seen and I've and I've seen more films in general. It's 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 hard to pick a favorite. But this one is definitely up there. I mean, it's one that I've cherished since I was 12, 13 years old is one I've come to appreciate even more every time I see it as I get older and as I come to appreciate the finer intricacies of filmmaking. Now. This is one of those films that I've discovered that I find something new every time I watch it. I've watched it twice recently. Uh, the first was about a month or two ago at the AMC in the Chamonix, Pennsylvania. I got to I got to actually see this uh, up on the big screen, which I never thought I would ever get the chance to do. And I managed to get a prime seat right in the middle of the theater. And it wasn't crowded. I mean, it was, it was the middle of the week. I just happened to have off that day. And uh, so it was understandable why I wasn't really too busy, but at the same time, it, it was a bit of a shame seeing such a, just such a lack of a, of a crowd in the room that for such a milestone film. Now the the second time I saw it was just last week. And I, I know I mentioned this in our uh, episode on Monday, Bill, about a uh, weekly releases, what we've been watching recently. And uh, like I said, I, I picked up the 4k set and I managed to watch all three films in rather quick succession. Transfers. Yeah, I, I, hold on, right, right, right. I gotta stop you. I got, I gotta give you an applause, man, because that is quite the <laughs> endeavor right there to take all, watch all three films. So yeah, I just had to. I gotta applaud you on that because that, like I said, that is an investment that well, not many, you, people, not many people can make. That that's like investing almost like uh, watching the Lord of the Rings extended editions all in one day. That's it's it's crazy. Because how long is Godfather three? Three is actually the shortest one in the. Uh... Dakota's like two hours and 38 minutes. Now, just to reiterate, I didn't watch him all in one day, but like, so like I watched Godfather, the first one, I think like on a Tuesday and I watched two on Thursday and I watched three over the weekend. So, okay. but for me, yeah. at least it was pretty quick succession. Yeah. But even at, two, even at, even over a little over two and a half hours, that's still, a, that's still a pretty long film. Oh yeah. Especially when you consider it's called Coda. You wouldn't imagine a Coda being as long as like an entire act, but it grants not as long as the other two films, but it, it it's, it's definitely no, uh, it's, it's definitely not short. It's definitely not uh venom. Let there be carnage. Let's just say that. Okay. So, all right. Yeah. yeah. And actually, you know what? I didn't even, you just brought up a good point because I didn't even know what Coda, like here I am. I'm, I watch films, but I did not know the difference, like what it stood for. Yeah, so basically from my, what, I'll have the textbook definition, but uh, I'm pretty sure it's a musical term, and it pretty much is, it's, it's sort of like an epilogue, and that was, okay. uh, that's what Coppola and Puzo had originally intended. It, the title coda was actually what Coppola had intended to be the original title at the time, uh, mm-hmm. but okay. Paramount decided to uh, vote against that and make him name it t- uh, part three, so... Okay. And I, yeah. So, okay. So now I'm going to let you continue talking about the film. I just, I wanted, I was just, I was curious about that. Cause I didn't know, you know, what the dip, you know, I thought it was just, you know, a terminology or some, you know, a name for something. I just didn't know the exact like definition of what it meant. Yeah. And even if like, if you were to like, um, like let's, let's say you were to get the uh, set eventually, there's actually an introduction by Coppola that you, you can play as an option before watching Coda. We actually okay. goes into that a little bit. About did you watch it? it? I watched it. Yeah, it was pretty good. He also <laughs> did an intro to the first one as well. And you watched those too? 
Oh, I did. <laughs> of course you did. <laughs> so once again, now back to Ryan for the 1972 Academy Award winning classic, The Godfather. Thank you, Bill. Now, uh, as we mentioned, we're not going to be able to, we're not talking about the entire trilogy, just uh, just uh, part one in tonight's episode. So that's why I'm deciding that's what I wrote all this about. Um, now, I said that this is a film that every time I watch it, I discover, I discover something new, you know, the last time I watched it just, just last week, you know, I, one thing I discovered was like, I saw how this film is a prime example of delivering one of the most important elements of storytelling, which is the prioritizing of showing over telling. Sure. We do get our monologues in this film. We do get our moments where information is explained through dialogue. I don't think a film can ever truly get away from that. Because, you know, you're, you're only given so much time to tell a story. And you need to be able to convey information directly to your audience so that they understand exactly what's going on. Right from the beginning, we get a class act of filmmaking that emphasizes the effectiveness of cinematography, lighting, music, editing, and all-around groundbreaking performances spearheaded by Marlon Brando and Al Pacino. And everything works right from the very beginning. The score of The Godfather composed by Nina Rota is one of the most iconic film scores of all time. And the film begins with those iconic notes set against the black screen before the opening credits even begin. Now I'm, I'm even being generous in describing those as opening credits because all you get are Paramount Pictures Presents followed by the title card. And then we just jump right in and we jump right into a bold opening shot. It lasts for a good few minutes as the character Bonacera recounts the sad story of what happened to his daughter. For a while, it feels like he's telling the audience this story. In effect, he, he pretty much is. I mean, like he's looking pretty much not exactly into the lens of the camera. He, he's looking off at an angle just a little bit, but it's still the, the effect definitely holds. And as the camera slowly zooms out, we discover he's, of course, actually speaking to someone. Now, that someone listens, takes his time with his response, and when he finally speaks, we see his face for the first time, we discover that we are in the presence of one of the most memorable characters to hit the silver screen in what is certainly one of the greatest performances of all time. That character is Don Vito Corleone, and the actor is none other than Marlon Brando, who just 20 years prior to that ushered in a more realistic style of acting known as method. Now, for the next 30 minutes, roughly, we witness the wedding sequence that opens the film. We cut between scenes set outside and scenes set within the Don's office and a few other locations. Now, what this sequence does, it establishes the main players of the film from the Don, his two families and associates. But through the extravagance of the event, we see that the Don is someone of great wealth and power. We also see how the family unit is a very important component of the way of life in the Corleone family something that contrasts sharply with the mood that the film ultimately ends on and is further fleshed out in part two. Now, it is here where we are also introduced to Michael, played by Al Pacino, in what was his breakout role. Michael serves as more of a supporting player throughout the first 45 minutes, roughly, of this film. In the wedding sequence is where we see the most of him, up until the uh, up until just after the first act break, and he mainly serves some expository functions here. Now, he helps to explain who certain important characters are to his girlfriend, Kay Adams, played by Diane Keaton, who serves as the audience surrogate in a way, the outsider to the family. And in a powerful monologue, he details an example of how ruthless Don Corleone can be. Now, this monologue and the way it's delivered is powerful. The story Michael tells Kay is dark, and it's told while we hear a heartfelt song being sung by the character of Johnny Fontaine, played by Al Martino. It's a haunting moment, not just in its execution, but in how it further solidifies just how far Don Corleone is willing to go, despite the fact that the very first scene shows him as a man of reason who does not view himself merely as a murderer. Now, the last thing this monologue helps to establish is Michael's stance on the family business at that time, and now he has and wants nothing to do with it. And the fact that we don't see him much for some considerable time after the scene emphasizes that fact. 
Now, from here on out, I'm not going to provide a deep dive into every moment of the film. That would just it would just take too long. And there have been numerous books written on the subject that can certainly itch your Godfather related scratch more than I can. What I will say is that the emphasis on showing rather than telling is employed throughout the rest of the film. The entire sequence of Tom Hagen portrayed by Robert Duvall heading to LA and trying to convince Jack Waltz portrayed by John Marley to give Johnny Fontaine the leading role in the new film, which ultimately leads to the famous horse's head sequence. By and large, if there was any iteration of this story being made today, God forbid, I only want to think about that. But I would imagine this whole sequence likely would have been cut entirely. It doesn't really contribute greatly to the overall plot. What it does do, however, it shows just how far-reaching the Don's influence is. And it acts as the third and final note in what is a gradual build-up into the ultimate reveal as just how ruthless Don Vito is. We get the first note in the opening scene where the question of just how dangerous is this man is established. That builds to the next note, which is Michael's monologue that I just covered. The reveal of the horse's head in Waltz's bed is the climax of this mini arc. Now we see clearly just what Don Corleone is capable of. Now we know full well who our story's protagonist is and who we think we're going to be following throughout the rest of the film. Or so that's what we think. Now, if you've, if you've read the novel that this film was based on prior to seeing the film, which I admit I did try reading it when I was around 14 after seeing the film initially, and uh, I got through about half of it. I, I wasn't a fan of the way the story was structured, and I just it, after a certain point, I just couldn't, I just couldn't continue. Um, but if you read the novel, you know, you know that's not where the story is going. Uh, the event that serves as the first act break, which is the attempted assassination of the Don, ultimately kind of relegates Brando to a supporting position for pretty much the remainder of the film. And his presence still looms as a powerful influence for every other character, but his screen time is greatly diminished. And this is where the other characters and the actors who play them pick up the mantle and really begin to shine. It is also here where the main focus transitions to Michael, who makes his return. This is where you see him start to develop into the role he will eventually fulfill, despite whatever his prior intentions were. Now, the scene, the scene where he's at the hospital and he tells Don Vito, I'm with you now. And he kisses his father's hand, followed by the single tear rolling down Brando's cheek. Now, that is a powerful moment, one that has actually struck me more on an emotional chord the older I've gotten. You know, underneath it is the reconnecting of family members who were previously, I wouldn't want to say necessarily estranged, definitely, but there was definitely a distance and a disconnect. And the tear rolling down Don Vito's cheek is a sign of a pain that's finally being extinguished. His youngest son has now finally, after all these years, finally returned home. In the hospital scene, it culminates with a moment that I actually didn't understand for years. And I'm sure if you're listening to this, I'm sure there are some of you who probably didn't understand it for the longest time either. Now, there's a moment where Enzo the baker is trying to light a cigarette, but he can't. You know, the, the adrenaline and the anxiety of the hit that almost could have gone down has made his hand shake uncontrollably. And the camera, they, the way they filmed it, 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 it holds on his shaking hands for a while. So it helps the audience to, under, to make the, the connection of what Michael makes in the next few seconds. So what happens is Michael takes the lighter, bites the cigarette. And this is, for the longest time, this was one part I did not understand. The moment where he's looking down at the lighter before returning it to Enzo. He says nothing, and the moment pretty much is interrupted by the arrival of police. But I think the first time I finally understood what this moment meant was maybe about, maybe about 10 years ago. Now, this is, this is another important moment for Michael. It emphasizes the subtlety employed with the show and don't tell approach. It is here by recognizing his steady hands that he realizes he's built for this. Now, Michael is a war hero. They established that in the film. 
but they don't really go into detail into what he actually experienced during his time. So we as the audience deduce that between his upbringing and what he did experience in the war, it certainly helped to shave away a lot of those uh, emotional nerve endings. And it only builds from here. I mean, the, the scene where he kills Salazzo and McCluskey is another amazing set piece. And it's, it's interesting in that we have a scene here where there's a considerable amount of dialogue that isn't spoken in English, yet it doesn't get subtitled. Now, you can get a sense of what's being said because Pacino and Al Latiri, who played Salazzo, are able to convey the gist of what they're saying well enough. But what they're saying is merely secondary to what's going on with Michael overall in this one scene. You know, as, as the camera zooms in on his face and Salazzo's monologue and everything else is drowned out by the sounds of the passing trains, only to culminate in the almost deafening sounds of the gunshots. This, this was a scene that played out incredibly well in the Dolby Cinema Theater where I saw it. I've seen that scene so many times. And this, this may have just been my own experience, but I think there was something that Coppola and the sound mixers did with this new restoration that really gave new life to those three bullets that are fired. I mean, I, I kind of felt like I was there in that restaurant. And those shots did exactly what Clemenza said they would do and scare any pain-in-the-ass innocent bystander away. Now, from that moment, every time we see Michael for the remainder of the film, some, some time has passed. The film itself spans a time period of 10 years, from 1945 to 1955. So this was bound to happen. This was another thing I noticed the last time I watched it. While the overall story of the film follows the transitioning of power from one generation to the next, the entire first half of the film following that opening wedding sequence follows one large plot line, which culminates in the restaurant scene. The remainder of the film almost kind of has like an, I guess an episodic feel to it. I mean, if you look up the timeline of events that occur within the film, pretty much the first half of it all takes place over the course of a year. The remainder of the film is told in such a way that we get like one scene or sequence that's set in one year. You know, such as Sonny's murder in 1948, then we'll jump to like 1950 for pretty much just one scene, which is when Michael visits Kay for the first time since his return from Sicily. And this adds to Michael's character development. Even in this scene with Kay, he is no longer the man we were introduced to at the beginning of the film. We will never see that version of Michael ever again. And that's when you realize that despite him being the main character depicted in the film's promotional material, especially that iconic image of him holding the cat, Don Vito wasn't the main protagonist we thought he was. It was always Michael. And from here on out, the Godfather saga becomes a story about one man's descent, a story that fully culminates in part two. Of course, we really begin to see this in full once Don Vito dies. Michael's moves to legitimize the family business include taking out his enemies which is when the famed baptism sequence comes into play. Overall, the amount of violent scenes in these films actually are minimal when we consider their runtimes and the overall, you know, ratio of violent to non-violent scenes that there are. But when the violence does happen, it certainly leaves a mark. They do not hold their punches at all. These are scenes of violence with a purpose. The baptism sequence is also haunting in a way that is similar to how haunting Michael's monologue is at the beginning of the film. It is a portrayal of violence, juxtaposing with what is otherwise something beautiful, except we actually see the ruthlessness and the brutality. We are not told in this instance. And rather than Don Vito's mere threat to the band leader, Michael has his vengeance fully carried out. Don, Don Vito may not have thought of him or his family as murderers, but Michael clearly is. And just to provide a little bit of a cherry on top, the film's ending does not aim to give the audience any sort of solace. As Al Neary closes the door on Kay, a scene that has been mocked numerous times in media since then, we are left with nothing but the realization that the legacy of the Corleone family will be dark, which leads us to part two. But 
that's for another time. And I know I've, I've, I know I've said a lot, but I just want to take a little bit of time out to recognize one particular actor in the film. He was in a few scenes in this, but he was more fully fleshed out in the sequel. That character is Fredo Corleone, portrayed by the brilliant John Cazale. Another tragic example of an actor taken from us way too soon, John passed away at age 42 following a battle with cancer shortly after the release of his final film, The Deer Hunter, released in 1978. Even though he wasn't in the first film too much between the moment where he's breaking down after Don Vito's been shot to when he and Michael have their little moment in Las Vegas that, maybe not intentional at the time because I don't believe there were originally any plans to do a sequel. But in hindsight, it does foreshadow events that occur in part two. John is definitely an actor that would have gone on to have been to have had a fully bloomed career had his life not been cut too short. Now, those are my thoughts. If you're still listening, I thank you. This is a film that's been dissected numerous times and by people far more qualified than me in the 50 years since its release. Can't believe it's been... 50 years 50th anniversary this year which is why we got the recently released restoration but you know i hope you enjoyed listening to my take uh bill is there anything you would like to add i i can't put it any better than what you just did that was fantastic ryan I, again i gotta applaud you that was that was really good i mean this guy put a lot of work into that today coming up you know we typing all this stuff up and just you know you could tell the passion that he has for this film and how much he really loves this film. Thanks, I mean, Bill. watching it, what, when you were 13 the first time, possibly, around 12 or 13? Yep. So, I mean, this is a film that's been with him for a long, long time. A trilogy of films, even the third one. And, yeah. you know, and, 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 but it's, it's a, you know, a part of who he is. And he, he loves cinema, and this is a you know, film that he really, and really, really enjoys. But just backtracking a little bit, Ryan, go back to that hospital scene. For a second, it's definitely a passing of the torch when you yeah. when that yeah. whole that whole scene, and you know you spoke about the you spoke about the, like the, the violence in this film, and you know the show more you know more of the show and the, and tell, which it completely flip flops in the second film, to, in my opinion because I think more this you get more you get more of a show in this one and the second film which you know. You can go back and forth to anybody. Most people, you know, some people say they like the first one better. Some people, I mean, I've never seen two films where they can go back and forth where people, yeah. you know, are just that divided by it. But I think the second film is a lot more dialogue and a lot more telling of what's going on. Whereas, like that first one is really about, you know, like you meant, you know, the um, the baptism scene. That's one of the. And again, I'm not the, I haven't seen a lot of films, you know, have to do, you know, with the mafia or anything like that. But that scene, like you put it, you couldn't say, I couldn't say it any better. It's haunting because it's so, the, the delivery and this, and the way it is shot is absolutely perfect. Oh, yeah. flashing, oh, yeah. flashing from Al Pacino, you know, basically renouncing all his sins and, you know, taking everything back. And then all of a sudden, and the, these murders are going out at the same exact time. I, it's just, it's a fantastic scene. It's one of the best scenes I've ever seen in the film, honestly. And I've seen a lot of films. It's definitely one of the best scenes I've ever, you know, come across. But I would definitely, I mean, would you, would you agree that there's more, it's more of the violence aspect in the first one as compared to the second one? Right. So I think there, there definitely are fewer violent scenes in two. There are, um, there's definitely, I think, more of a psychological aspect to it. And I think that's why you get more of the dialogue-driven scenes. I think also because the plot in two is a little... It's it's not as easily discernible as the first one. It's not as straightforward. A lot of the stuff that goes on in two, pay attention to Michael and what he says, because a lot of it... it, it is, this also comes down to Pacino's performance in two. There are a lot of moments where, you know, you don't know exactly what's going through Michael's head until like way later in the film, you know, the way he, he tries to discover who his truest enemy is. 
that's even even his methods aren't exactly made clear until like maybe like you've done another rewatch and you're like okay now i see what he was doing so there's there was definitely a lot more there there are a lot more i think emotional stakes going on in two um that scene where he tells fredo you know you're nothing to me now you're not a brother you're not a friend that whole scene just, just watching last week like it was the i've seen that scene multiple times and for some reason it just hit me on like an entirely different level like there are so many more i think emotional highs and i think those ultimately um i think those ultimately fill take the place of some of the more brutal violence that was portrayed throughout the first one um yeah, because the second one, I definitely get like more a. Um, I don't want to. I don't use the word. I don't want to use the word. You know, saying it's more like a mystery, but he's almost like he's like trying to solve who tried to have him killed, right? You know, and whereas like you said, the first one, the first one is a. It's a it's a personal journey. Michael's personal journey, everything, and I I think what really it's not just the. The hospital scene with um, with Vito. It's also when he when he is sent away, and he goes to what is it? Um, Sicily. Sicily? Sicily, Sicily, and that moment when his when his wife that he you know he finds this girl who's there, and you know he's you know he basically is promised her hand by her father. He marries her, and they're together for a little bit, and she gets killed in a car bomb. Yep. I think that was that right there was a defining moment for Michael because when we do see him again, he comes back. He's not the that that at that point that's the turning moment where he's not the same Michael. Certainly, so between, absolutely. Between his father being shot, then the shot in the rest, then the uh, scene in the restaurant, and then that that was the tipping point. That was the breaking point for Michael. Oh yeah, right there. You know, so yes. I mean. It's kind of a shame because, like, they. uh, It's kind of a shame because there was actually. So in the first one, they I don't know if they filmed it, but there were plans for like, I think following the baptism sequence, there were originally plans for Michael to discover that Fabrizio had moved to New York and he finds him, and he kills him. But I don't think they filmed that. But what they did do was they filmed a sequence in the second one that takes place near the beginning. Um, which they eventually cut where he finds Fabrizio and he has him killed. So there's that, that, that's, it's one of those things where it's like, it wasn't necessary to the plot, but it was, it was, it, it was kind of nice knowing that there was at least this one point where Michael did finally get his vengeance on Fabrizio for what he did to Apollonia. And it was, but I completely agree, agree with you. You know, that, that was like, definitely, that was like, that was like almost like the final, the final moment for him that really did solidify his transformation. That was like the last bit that like took away like any sort of um, like feeling he had, like almost humanity. And now he's now he's he returns like a shell of a man, and that that shell just becomes even more hollow throughout the remainder of the film and throughout all of part two. And uh, yeah, you completely know. I, I, I was going to write something about that, but I actually thought that I was actually afraid like what I had written was going to take more than an hour. So I went up like skipping right ahead, but uh, I'm glad we talked about that too. Yeah. And, and just the contrast in between Michael and, and Vito, I mean, between father and son, Michael is, I mean, perhaps I mean I don't know if it's really I mean you they touch upon it in the in the second film. But with Vito, you see he's he's I don't want to say he's a softer, you know, crime boss, but he definitely the emotion is a lot softer. Michael is just stone he like he's a stone cold killer. Yeah. yeah. Really, you know, as in certain in certain if you cross him, that's it. Whereas, you know, Don Vito, he's definitely has a little bit more, again, maybe when he got a little bit older, maybe it's, you know, he got, but definitely 
he's more. I, I don't want. It's it's tough to say. You want to you want to look at it. And you want to say he's more. Family mean. I don't want to say that family doesn't mean a lot to Michael. But almost like it's seen, like it means more to Don Vito. I don't know. I mean, that that's just the that's how I that like he's not as he's not as easily going to send you know and, and send away a family member or basically say you know you're dead to me as compared to Michael where Michael's just like I mean go I mean again jumping ahead to the second film that scene I mean against again this is a film from you know second film from 1974 so you know most people other than myself have probably seen this film a long time ago but that the scene with him and Kay I'll put it that way you know and just how cold Michael was at that particular moment. You know, like near the last time you see Kay, you know, in the film, he is just, you see that all emotion is, is pretty much gone from Michael in certain aspects, of, you know, of him. All right. So, all right. And then I mean, going back, I mean, again, this is, this is a film that you really can jump back and forth. So many different scenes when things pop into your head, like, Oh, what about this? Or what about that? You know, it, it's, it's not one of those films that you're really going to talk from beginning to end because so many things can just pop into your head right away about this. I mean, look at James Kahn. The way James Kahn is murdered in this film. I mean, this is not, we're not talking about just one gunshot. You're not talking about just two gunshots. This guy is brutally, and I mean brutally, gunned down. And it seems like maybe like a hundred, hundreds of bullets. That's, I mean, probably not that many, but it sure as hell seems like it's about that many. It is just crazy the way he is gunned down. And that, again, that's one of those scenes that stays with you. The way that Sonny is killed. It's, oh, yeah. it's, it's one of those like jaw-dropping moments for someone. If you hadn't seen the film before, it's one of those jaw-dropping moments. You know? But I mean, overall, I mean, talk about the cast, right? I mean, the, the cast is phenomenal in, in this film. I mean, what Coppola was able to put together, this cast, is an incredible cast. Even though now, who originally now who originally put this out? Paramount. Paramount. Yep. Okay. Now, if I'm not mistaken, I don't think Paramount was exactly uh, too keen and sold on the idea of Marlon Brando playing Don Vito. I think at that point, if I remember correctly, um, you know, the success that Brando had experienced in the '50s, I think through his own choices and just like circumstance, you know, by, by the time that the Godfather was being prepped, um, I think he was definitely seen as, I don't want to say liability, but he, at that point, he definitely wouldn't have been any studios first uh, choice to, to, to lead a film. And I mean, I, I forget if it, I forget the circumstances that led to his casting, but whoever ultimately made that decision had to made one of the greatest casting choices of all time. And I would say they, they rounded out the entire cast was funny. I, I Brando went on to play like a, a parodied version of the character, but it's called the freshman. It was released in the mid '80s, and I think it had Matthew Broderick, and he played I was just, Brando. Yeah, I was gonna say I think Matthew Broderick was in that one. I've never seen it again, but yeah, I believe he was in that one. Yeah, and actually, he was originally. So there's other things about that too, because like I guess originally they wanted to bring Brando back for the uh, flashback scene at the end of part two. You know where it's uh, it's Don Vito's birthday, and the the Japanese have just attacked Pearl Harbor, and then Michael reveals that he's quit college and he's enlisted in the Marines. Uh, I guess they originally wanted Brando back for that, but he refused. I forget I forget the reason why, but I mean I, I think the scene definitely kind of works on its own without him. Um, I guess what I guess what you're saying, Rise, they couldn't make him an offer he couldn't refuse. I guess not. And there was a whole thing with him. Um, this is another thing I have to look into. Like, uh, when it, when he won the Best Actor Award at the Academy Awards, he actually didn't even show up for the ceremony. He had 
a Native American woman go and like take his place to accept the award. And it was like a statement about how I think um, that how Native Americans were being treated or something like that. I forget the exact what the exact circumstances were, but that's that's from what I hear that's like one of those iconic um, Oscar moments. And uh, well, and until 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 recently, until recently, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. But <laughs> I mean, like, well, you know, it's interesting. Uh, talk about like the, the casting Pacino. So this, I think Pacino had only been in like one other film before this, the panic and needle part. Um, I, I had heard an interview with him where he like early on in the production process, they actually weren't too happy with his performance. So they were actually on the verge of, I guess, firing him. But when they got to the scene where they filmed him in the restaurant, killing Salazzo McCluskey, like that was the moment where they're like, we're keeping him. And it was by like sheer miracle that he got to continue and he just like completely embraced the role and just like one of the most iconic film characters and one of the greatest like character arcs, I would say, in film. And uh, that's that again, like that's just the two lead actors in this film. I mean, everyone else, like, completely shines not one performance is wasted not one shot is wasted um actually like like watching it again just last week i really appreciated robert duvall's portrayal of tom hagen you know he's this he's not cold he's just really straight to the point business he's all like business he's the obviously he's the lawyer he's the conciliary and but he's just, just like he's the way he speaks, like the inflection, it's like it's it's all all business. And there was just something I really, uh, really I something I really gravitated toward this time around. And uh, yeah, I mean, just like I mean, another I mean, you know, Duvall, Khan, Brando. I mean, just incredible, incredible actors. I mean, obviously, you know, if you're when it first came out, if you're looking at you know, it's, you know, basically the beginning for Pacino. But looking at it now and looking at the cast of people that are in the film is in, incredible. Now you said about the the casting, um, you know who you know Coppola cast. The, he's the one who picked all the actors, right, for the film or no? Uh, you know, I forget who. This is something I have to I have to do a little bit more research into because I'm I'm sure he definitely had to say, but the, I'm sure like the the casting directors they definitely went through the process of uh, auditioning all the actors and uh, I'm sure like they, you know, they screen tested them. And that's the other thing was like, I still another thing where as much as I love the film, as much as it's been like pretty much pivotal to my life, all these, there's still some gaps into the, uh, the, like the the pre-production process for me that I actually should go back and watch some of the, uh, the making up features that they have on the uh, on the Blu-ray that's included on the 4K set. Yeah. Now, now, obviously, like you said, Brando won best you know best actor for his you know for him for his role. Now, was anybody else was anybody up for like a best supporting actor? I don't. That one I don't remember. I I think it only. I'm actually going to look it up now as I'm writing this as I'm saying this but i mean i know i know uh pacino won for part two okay but in terms of let's see what we got here because i would assume maybe like robert duvall or you know even james khan could possibly up you know best supporting actor i think i know there's gotta be has to be a section here Anyway, we were saying the other day when we were talking on Monday, you know, these films, they're, they're timeless. I don't, I don't know if you could do a film like this now. I, I mean, like you, like you were mentioning earlier, there are certain things I don't think you get away with in the film. And, you know, looking at it, you know, back now, especially hearing, again, I haven't seen the 4K set like, you know, Ryan has, but I've heard that the 4K set almost, I mean, the way that they were able to, the film looks incredible from what I've heard basically put it oh, that yeah. way you know it's like 
I've heard like a 10 out of 10 as far as quality. Like it looks like almost like a film, like it was just shot recently. Like that's how good 4K looks for this. It was amazing that they, they, um, they're saying like the original negatives were like so warped that what they were able to get out of this is incredible. Oh, and I, I just found, uh, I just found what I was looking for, Bill. Okay, so when it came to the, the Academy Awards, it was the 45th Academy Awards. Um, so the nominations were for Best Picture, Best Costume Design, Brando for Best Actor, Puzo and Coppola for Best Adapted Screenplay, and then Pacino, Khan, and Duvall got Best Supporting Actor nominations. It also got... Did, did they win? Did either of the, all three, of the three win? So let me see. Uh, that's insane. All three of them got best supporting actor. Oh yeah, that's crazy. So let me see. Going down here. Okay, so that just show that just shows you how much of a powerhouse this film was back in seventy two. Oh yeah. Let's see. It, it won. So it won best picture. Uh, Coppola was d- nominated but didn't win best director. Brando won best actor. Let's see what else. Uh, Neither of them won for Best Supporting Actor. That was given to Joel Gray, who won for Cabaret. And see what else they did. Hmm. I'm surprised that none of them won Best Supporting Actor. I know. It won, it, won best, it won Best Adapted Screenplay. So I think, I think those, those were the three that it won that year. Yeah. But yeah. I mean, you think about it, though. I can't, I mean, you're talking... You know, the span a span of three three films, okay, three all three films. You have you have the first one, the second one, one both of them best picture. Yep, I believe yep. the second one was the first time that a sequel has ever won best picture at the Academy Awards. Yes, and actually, uh, it's also a rare instance where Brando and De Niro both won Oscars for portraying the same character. Wow. Mm-hmm. I didn't know. I didn't realize. I, and De Niro, I mean, again, we're skipping. That's the problem when you talk about these films that you want to spill over to the second one. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. You know? But, I mean, look at, look at the third film, though. The third film, even though, again, it's, again, I haven't seen it, but a lot of people say, you know, it's inferior to the other two. That film was nominated for Best Picture. What, 1990? It was. was it 90 yeah. or 91? Uh, 1990. It was it was nominated alongside Dances with Wolves, Goodfellas, and Ghost. Yeah, think. that's a tough category right there to win up yeah. against them. You know, absolutely. You know, obviously, Dancing Dances with Wolves won up. You know, winning, but the fact that all three films in this trilogy were at least you know either won or at least nominated. That's unheard of, and I don't think we're ever going to see that again. The only other time we got that was with Lord of the Rings. All three films were nominated, but uh, Return of the King was the only one to win. Were were all three of them nominated? Yes, they were. Yep. Okay. You could say, I I don't really, you know, honestly, I don't really pay too much attention with the Academy Awards. Only recently I've really, you know, gotten, you know, with watching watching more and more films, I've gotten more into like in tune, you know, with what films are, you know, nominated or what wins. Oh, but yeah. obviously, oh, back then, I wasn't really paying attention. I just want to see a film to be, you know, I want to be, in, you know, have enjoyment when I'm watching a film. I'm not really looking to see, you know, if they win. But obviously, Return of the King, I mean, come on. Return of the King is just oh, one of those oh, films oh, that oh. absolutely. So, I mean, again, but the history of cinema to have, I mean, you're not even talking about the original, the original, you know, OG, the original Star Wars trilogy never even got, you know, I don't think any of those were ever nominated for Best Picture. Actually, the original Star Wars was what you're killing I, me, right? You're killing me. You're pro- this is why this guy. This is why he's on here. <laughs> why? Well, the only reason I know is like I, I actually just just looked into them like throughout the decade, and I was like, it's one of those that really stands out because the original, even the original Star Wars, you you never would have equated that with like a Best Picture nomination. Yet it was, and actually, so was Jaws and uh, ET. They were yep. all and Raiders of the Lost Ark. That was also nominated for Best Picture. Hmm. Yeah, it's it, it's interesting. Like films that like films that have become so iconic over time, and 
you often equate like best picture with <laughs> some more a lot of times like just simply not that a lot of best picture films are forgotten in the fact that we we love these films and they just happen yeah. to receive that nominations it's, it's pretty cool yeah, yeah. Like I didn't even realize. Did you? Re- I didn't realize that Moonfall was nominated for Best Picture this past year. Oh God! Oh God! <laughs> if, if that were to happen, then that the, the Academy will have fallen even farther than it already has. <laughs> but uh, yeah, man, this has been great talking about The Godfather. Like I said, Ryan, you know, he grew up watching this. Me, just what last week, first time checking it out. So it doesn't matter if you've seen it back then or if you've just seen it for the first time recently, like myself. The film stands up. It is timeless. And it is a fantastic, you know, fantastically acted film. Cinematography is fantastic. The score, even though for someone who's never seen, had never seen the film before, even I know that opening score. Like, I don't think, and that's, and that's, that's a testament of, to this film. Mm-hmm. To this score, you know, I mean, it just, you know, that and the horse head, that I like, those are the two seminal things that I knew about this film without even, you know, have ever seen seeing it before. But I mean, I was blown away because there's definitely, it was, it's more than, I don't think it's, I think I had an idea of what I expected this film to be, but it exceeded the expectation of what I thought it was. It wasn't quite exactly the way I thought it was going to be, but it actually, it was a little bit better. If that makes sense. Like it was like, it's just, it was weird. Like I had a vision an idea of what, it, what I thought it was going to be, but it completely wasn't. And by not being that it exceeded and it just wound up just being a fantastic watch. Um, and for me, I mean, I know for yourself, I know you, you know, I know you lean towards the second one a little bit more. I really enjoyed this one. I, I enjoyed the first one more just a little bit, you know, than, than the second one. Um, Again, I think it has, but I think it has a lot to do with Marlon Brando too. I think you know he's just he's great. He's great as Don Vito. He really he is. I mean, mm-hmm. and there's there's no there's no weak link in that cast. That cast is solid all the way all the way through. Like I got a bit though. Like I think it's only been like in recent years where I've come to prefer two more, and it's. It's just by like maybe like a hair, but like it's 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 one of those things where it's like one is so still so amazing that like I I feel I, I, I feel guilty having to choose. It's like it's like I think I think uh, Billy Crystal says it in one of the city slickers. It's like it's like having to pick for kid or something like that. It's like it's 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 like almost impossible. Now absolutely I I would never choose three, but um, to between the two, it, it's it's like it's. I would say, if gun held to my head, and if, if it was if if I was that band leader, and you know the Don the Don said, you know, you, either your your your, it's either your brains or you have to choose between one or two. I I would have to go with two, but uh, you really can't. that's the thing. Like you said, we can't. It's very difficult to talk about one without talking about the other, and it's it's. Oh man! Yeah, I mean, because they, I mean, they do. I mean, they differ. They really do differ in a lot of ways. Like I said, the first one's more about the violence. The second one's more about the dialogue. The first one, other than you know Pacino being sent, you know Michael being sent to Sicily, it's more of a contained story to a. I mean, and obviously, I mean going to Vegas, but other than that, I mean, it's it's more of a contained story to a particular area. Whereas the second one, you know, you're in, um, you know, you're in Vegas. Uh, he comes to New York as well. I, be- I believe. Yeah, he comes to New York. He goes to Miami. Cuba. And yeah, he goes yeah, Miami to Cuba. And Cuba. Yep. So I mean, that's more of a grander, you know, scale film where it's like all different, lo- you know, different locations. Whereas the first one just seems a little bit more, you know, contained. Yeah. But it's just, oh, it's shot so well, and those scenes. Even if you don't like, even if you've seen the film and you don't like, you've seen it once and you don't care for the film. Those scenes are going to stay in your head. You're, you're right. never going to forget that stuff. You know the baptism scene, Sonny getting gunned down. You know his, uh, Michael's wife being blown up. 
you know, the, the, you know, early on with uh, Marlon Brando getting, you know, gunned down. Like I didn't see that coming a mile. I, I, I did not see it. Absolutely, I was surprised that he got not killed, but shot. You know, that severely that early in the film. That was definitely that was a shock to me, um, man. But just what a what a great film. Absolutely great film. I actually kind of feel like uh, popping it in again after we finish <laughs> this, but I don't know if I can. <laughs> you probably will. <laughs> but um, yeah, right. You did a great job. I, I got again, really. Uh, this guy knows his stuff. He does. Thanks, I, you know, when it comes to the Godfather, he's he's the expert. He, and, and there's always room for learn more, though. Absolutely. Especially when you have all those, like you said, you got all those bonus discs that you have to go through and, you know, watch all the behind the scenes. Oh, yeah. Oh, and all yeah. that stuff's probably just about as long as the second film alone. <laughs> uh, yeah, a lot of these scenes, too. Yeah. 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 So this has been a lot of fun, you know, checking out The Godfather. And, yeah. What else can we say, right? I don't think there's much more we can really uh, say about this film that, you know, you haven't already talked about. The only thing I can say is if you, it's sort of like how when we were doing um, our commentaries on Night of the Living Dead and Dawn of the Dead, you know, if you haven't visited this trilogy yet, especially the first two films, you know, I highly recommend it. I don't think you would be disappointed. Um, yeah, I mean, like, obviously, like, it's, they've been around for a long time, so I highly doubt you'd be able to go into them completely blind but they 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 really are experiences it's 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 rare it's rare when a film truly is like it it's more than just a film it's an experience and these are these definitely fulfill that role in my opinion yeah i mean even if you don't even if you watch the films and even if you don't care for them you know after watching them as as, i mean as someone if you're you know if you're a cinephile and you're really you know you're into this stuff you at least owe it to yourself to at least once experience the Godfather trilogy. Absolutely. So, and even as I, and again, the third film, I am going to watch that one at some point. You know, just people steer me away from it, be saying like, "Oh, it's, it's horrible" and stuff like that. <laughs> Knowing me, you'll probably want to be my favorite of the three. <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, just a great trilogy and definitely worth checking out. And those first two, and those two first two films, absolutely very worthy of winning their Academy Awards. So, we're wrapping up another episode. I am Bill, and this course is... Ryan. And we will catch everyone on the flip side in another episode. Take care, everyone. Have a great night. Bye. Bye Bye-bye.